I'm Caleb Brown, host of the Cato Daily Podcast, and I'm taking this time to ask you during the month of December to financially support the Cato Daily Podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute to advance individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and support our work. This is the only time of the year when I make this request, so I'm adding something. If you support Cato to the tune of $1,000 or more, I'll give you a shout-out on the podcast, or you can designate an individual to receive all the benefits of that donation. Just visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started, and thank you. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Sunday, December 22nd, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Hours after impeaching the president, the House passed the president's North American Trade Agreement. It's an awful lot like the North American Free Trade Agreement the president lambasted on the campaign trail. But the bottom line is that it could mean less trade between Mexico, Canada, and the United States. Cato's Dan Eikenson and Simon Lester comment. The president has hailed this trade agreement as... One of the greatest to be remembered for all time. Um, generally, how different is this from NAFTA and the TPP, two things that he, the president thought were terrible? I think the, the biggest takeaway is that this agreement has provisions that are likely to lead to a reduction in trade uh, among the three parties. Uh, the president it sees trade as a zero-sum game. He His objective seems to be to deter U.S. companies from investing in Mexico or foreign companies from investing in Mexico, uh, deterring U.S. companies and U.S. consumers from importing from Mexico. And so, there are several sets of provisions in the agreement that raise enough doubts that uh, that trade will be able to come over the border without interruption because of labor, uh, alleged labor violations or environmental violations. The, the rules of origin, in other words, the rules that uh, need to be met in order for products to qualify for preferential treatment are staggeringly onerous, particularly in automobiles. So, uh, I, I think this is going to lead to less regional trade. And uh, so, if that's the objective, then the president succeeded. I also think this is why it's gone over well with the Democrats and the labor left. This is the kind of agreement they've always wanted one that allows them to trigger uh, protectionist responses uh, very easily. Okay, Simon Lester, to you, what are some of the nitty-gritty details in here that are either surprisingly good or not so good? Yeah, so the nitty-gritty is, is a mixed bag here, and there are some things that, that people like me have complained about for, for years about NAFTA um, that have been fixed. So there was a problem in, in the NAFTA with uh, the filing of, of complaints. Uh, back in 2000, Mexico filed a, a complaint against U.S. sugar barriers, and the U.S. was able to block that complaint from ever happening, and at that point, there were no more disputes that were heard. And so when they said, hey, we're going to renegotiate NAFTA, we said, well, you should probably fix this. And in the first iteration, uh, the first agreement that was signed last year, it wasn't fixed. Um, but here, the House Democrats, I think because they wanted the labor provisions in force, stepped in and really pushed hard on the Trump administration. And we don't have the final word. There's some rules of procedure that need to come out, but for the provisions in there so far look pretty good. So I'm happy they fixed that. Um, so that's the good. In terms of the bad, I mean, I think Dan just highlighted one of the big ones, and, that, and that's auto trade. And that you know what what NAFTA does, the core of NAFTA for me is 
uh, zero tariffs on virtually all traded goods between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. But with the with auto trade and the new rules of origin, it's going to be a lot harder now to get uh, the, those zero tariffs. And you might not get them at all. You might have to. It might just not be worth tr- complying with the conditions. And companies will just pay tariffs on the autos and auto parts that are traded back and forth. So that's a bad one. Um, and, and auto trade is sort of a huge part of of uh, North American trade. That's it's a big component. It's not like you know avocados, which are important, but but kind of small. And then the other, I think, big, possibly really bad one here for, from, from our perspective is what they've done on the, on the labor provisions. Now, labor and environment have been part of trade agreements for, for a number of years now, and we've expressed skepticism. We, we'd like it out, but you know, we've lost that battle. Uh, what they've done now is ratcheted that up. Um, so it's, it's not going to be just a complaint that, hey, Mexico is not properly enforcing its labor laws. You will be able to bring specific com- complaints against specific factories and say, "Hey, these factories are denying um, various labor rights," and you, you'll be able to quickly. It's called a rapid response labor mechanism. Quickly um, get an investigation going and um, and start and start imposing you know, start uh, start imposing tariff penalties um, against alleged violations. Now, we don't know how many complaints this is going to lead to. Is it going to be ten, a hundred, a thousand? We just don't know. It really could be a Litigation bonanza. We only found out about this eight days ago in the the the, the, the renegotiate the amendment that was that was generated out of the House Democrats negotiation with the White House. So this is all brand new. The House has has voted on on uh, I think they've already voted um, today. If they haven't, they'll vote later. Um, and we just have no idea how this new provision is going to work. And I, I I mean my you know recommendation is let's take some time to think about what we've done here. Let let's let's get some labor experts in to, to talk about what this means because we really don't know. So, uh, how does this change the, the politics surrounding trade? I mean, if, if the ultimate uh, result is going to be relatively less trade among three very close trading partners, um, you know, what, what are we likely to see down the road, either politically? Democrats support free trade at an all-time high, I am told. Uh, is, is, is this uh, too restrictive for these so-called free trade Democrats that I'm hearing about? Well, I think the terms of the agreement make it very restrictive. Uh, you know, unfortunately, <clears throat> the fact that Democrats are, are signing on to this en masse suggests that some serious concessions were made to the concerns of, of, of labor, and, and they were. What concerns me is that the administration is characterizing USMCA as the model trade agreement going forward, and all subsequent trade negotiations they conduct, uh, they're going to be pushing this this architecture. What's wrong with that is that it really hasn't kept up with the times. If you think about it, um, Americans consumed about four or five trillion dollars worth of goods in 2017. Uh, close to 60 percent of that was imported. We consumed about nine trillion dollars worth of services, but only about 550 billion of that was imported. So that's about six, five or six percent. We have massive trade barriers in services, uh, in, in transportation services, in healthcare, and education. None of our trade agreements go after that, and so this agreement doesn't have any new liberalization, and it. it has a modernization in the sense that uh, in 1994, when NAFTA went into effect, there was really the, the internet was just being born. There was no such thing as e-commerce. Now we have rules that sort of update and prohibit governments from in, imposing taxes on digital transactions and forcing local, you know, data uh, storage uh, um, requirements. So that's an update. But we have massive amounts of the economy. 
that is not subject to competition from abroad. And our trade agreements should be getting at that. This doesn't. Is that something to, to look for next year? Not, 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 from, not from this administration. I think it would, you know, from a forward-looking administration, um, you know, we've we've almost reached the limits. We already have zero tariffs in North America on on almost all products. Uh, why can't we focus on the things where we need more competition? We need competition in education and healthcare, that's for sure, and in transportation. You know, we have the Jones Act uh, project we're working on here. We don't have any competition in 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 transporting goods in the United States. So that would be a good thing if we did. So, uh, going forward, as this trade agreement uh, is implemented, what do you see as the economic fallout? Well, I think autos is the big one. I mean, I think that there, there's some discretion in how you implement these new rules of origin, and there are going to be fights over it. You know, how strictly are you going to um, apply these, these these new regulations to the auto companies in order to qualify for the zero tariffs? And if, if it's loose, um, then, then maybe we don't feel much of an impact. But if it's really strict, uh, what you'll see is is higher costs. Um, you know, for, for producing cars, and those costs will be passed along to consumers. Um, but you know, these things take a while to sort of develop the implementing regulations. So so partly it depends on maybe who wins the next election. Who's the president? Who's the one who's actually implementing this? There is the, the concern that, Simon, you and I talked about right after the election, and I'm sure the three of us have talked about it at some point, and that is this president doesn't want to leave well enough alone quite often when it comes to some small piece of authority or a large piece of authority that he has. How credible is this trade agreement at the end of the day if the president of the United States retains this uh, wide power to implement tariffs himself? <laughs> That's a that's that's a that it should be a focus of uh, of policy now, and uh, there are some members of Congress, some senators who have considered legislation to sort of rein in the authorities uh, of the executive branch uh, on statutes like Section 301 of the of the Trade Act of 1974. That's the law that uh, the trade war with China is being prosecuted under. Uh, there's Section 232 of the Trade Expansion Act of 1962. That's the steel and aluminum tariffs and the the potential auto tariffs, which seem to have been nipped in the bud now, but the, 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 there are so many, so many authorities that the president has or has claimed uh, that usurp the constitutional separation of powers uh, that are should be the foci of, of, of our efforts to, to, to reform. So you, you raise a good question there, and um, um, we, we have our work cut out for us. I, I think there are Republicans who would tell you, yeah, yeah, we see all the problems in this USMCA, but we've got to vote for it anyway, because we, we've got to put, put this whole threat of withdrawal from NAFTA behind us. We need to bring some certainty. Uh, but I do wonder how much certainty it brings us. You know, We've got a president who's shown he's willing to act unilaterally, to use all the tariff authority provided him to, to disrupt trade policy or immigration policy with tariffs. Yes, you know, if the USMCA goes into law, in theory, he's now constrained because it's an agreement that he pushed for and he signed. But is he? Uh, I, I'm not sure. You know, if he's mad at Mexico or Canada about something, he may very well threaten them with tariffs, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, he, he's got at least a. Uh, 11 months in office, and we'll see what he does in that 11 months, and and whether this actually constrains his his talk about tariffs uh, against Canada and Mexico. And I, th I think it's no noteworthy that that Simon mentioned that Republicans are saying, well, at least let's put this behind us. I mean, the 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 biggest. Uh, selling point uh, to a lot of the big business organizations in, in the United States is that we need to 
nip in the bud, this uncertainty. Let's put this behind us. That's why we support this agreement. It's not because the terms are better. It's because we just want to put this behind us and move forward. But move forward into what? Dan Eikenson directs Cato's Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies, where Simon Lester is a policy analyst. You can support the Cato Institute and this podcast with an end-of-the-year gift. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And thank you.